All right. Well, at this place in Mark chapter 4, we see that Jesus has gained quite a lot of popularity. All right. People are wanting to listen to him. They are uh, wanting to get something from his ministry. He's been healing people. He's been speaking with authority. And he's been attracting a lot of listeners. We see in there that a crowd gathered to him. Other versions say a great multitude. A great multitude uh, means what it sounds like. It means a lot of people. So much so that Jesus can't, can't teach them on land. He can't teach them because they are pressing in on him. In fact, in Mark chapter 3, he gets a boat ready because... Uh, he's concerned, I'm not going to say Jesus was afraid, but he was concerned that the crowd could crush him because there's so many people. So in Mark chapter 4, he wants to teach them. And how is he going to teach them when he's here and they are all pressing in? He can't, he can't get his voice over the top. So what does he do? Let's look at it. Verse 1, he says, it says, Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. So here we have a creative preacher, don't we? He says, hey, let's find a, a way to get this message out to everybody. And he puts a little boat out off the, the seashore. This is the Sea of Galilee, big lake, huge lake. And um, he puts his boat out there, and everybody gathers on the seashore. Well, that's pretty cool, isn't it? He's able to speak to them like that. Very unique, very creative. But what's even more interesting is what comes next. He taught them many things by parables. And in his teaching, he said, well, wait a minute. Before we start talking about what he said, did you catch that? He taught many things by parables. So what is a parable? A parable actually comes from the Greek word parabole. Okay? And parabole means to cast alongside. It's, it's a comparison. It's an illustration. Okay. So a parable is an illustration used to convey truth. Now, every teacher knows the, uh, the value of a good illustration, don't they? Anybody, any teachers in here? Anybody in the education system? Okay. Man, I thought there'd be a lot more hands, so there's two teachers, but that's great. Okay, three. Awesome. You, you know the value of a good illustration, don't you? Because you can sit and you can try to convey a truth, and you can see this. You can see everybody's eyes just glaze over, and they're like, and they cross. Their mouth hangs open. Sometimes drool comes out, and then all of a sudden you say, I heard in the news, that, and everybody's like, whoa. You know, this is great. So, you know, I, I love it when I bore people with the word of God. But then I tell a story, and all of a sudden, they, they perk their attention, right? And that's what an illustration is for. It's to get attention. It's to take that truth, and it is to explain it in a way that is tangible, in a way that people can grasp, in a way that engages people, and is very valuable. Now, I have heard some preachers uh, that will take illustrations to a, a level that they don't need to be taken to. I have heard... I've heard preachers and listened to sermons where it seems like they're using scripture to illustrate their stories. And it should be the other way around, right? I mean, we should, we should be teaching the word of God and using illustrations to illustrate that word, right? So we're going to start with the truth. We're going to teach the truth here. 
And then we see illustrations in order to drive that home. So Jesus is doing something similar here, okay? He starts out, and let's just go right into it. It's verse 3. It says, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell along rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, and some 100 times. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. So Jesus begins with this parable, and and it, and it... it's a pretty tangible parable, I think. I mean, it's in, in and of itself, it's a story that's easy to grasp, isn't it? It's a story about a farmer, okay? And this farmer goes out to sow his seed. He's casting his seed, and some of his seed lands on uh, soil that's not conducive to growth, and some lands on some that, that is, and, and all that. But it's real easy, I think, first of all, in our day and age to maybe, maybe criticize this farmer, okay? Um, what's he doing? Why isn't he preparing his field first? Why isn't he plowing his field? And why isn't he cultivating everything first? And then making sure the seed goes into the, 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 the proper rows and make sure, it's, make sure it's soil that is good to grow so that all the seed grows. Why isn't he doing that? Well, that's not the way they farmed back then. They went and they broadcast seed. I say broadcast. It wasn't like one of our, our broadcasters. They, they took their seed and they, they cast it out by hand, okay? And they cast it in the field and then... After it was all cast, they went and they plowed the field. And that plowed the seed underneath the ground, okay? Kind of worked it in there. Well, a farmer may not have always known exactly what kind of ground he was throwing his seed on. Uh, in that part of the country, there's a lot of uh, shallow soil areas with a lot of rocky shelves and things like that. He might have been casting on one of those that he couldn't plow up. Um, of course, you know how it is, too, when you're casting grass seed or something like that, and some of it's going to fall on the path, and some of it's going to fall here and there, places that you don't want. Um, I always love it when I was, you know, you get done uh, planting uh, you know, plant grass seed, and then all of a sudden in your flower beds, all of a sudden you get up all this grass coming up because you weren't paying attention. So we all, we all have been there. So that's how, they, that's how they farmed back then. And so these people, this audience that Jesus was talking to, would have been very aware of what's going on, and they would have understood the story completely. So he says, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. I know I just read that twice, actually, before this, but I did that for a reason. I want you to hear the story. I want, I want the story to sink in. Okay? Jesus used parables a little bit different than how we use illustrations. This is not exactly an illustration. The teacher uses an illustration a certain way because a, a teacher's point is to make a certain truth 
easy to grasp for the entire audience that they're talking to. So they start with the truth, typically, and then use the illustration to illustrate that truth. Jesus, however, begins with the parable, but he ends with the parable as well. He doesn't go on because a parable is more like a doorway. Those that wanted to know the spiritual truth behind the parable could go through the doorway, could ask questions, could seek the Lord. What is the spiritual truth that you are trying to convey? Those that didn't could say, oh, that was a nice story. And it seems to me in reading this scripture that many did just that. They just thought it was a nice story. So as these guys are sitting there listening now, and I, and I want you, you guys have probably heard teachings on this and, and, and all that, but imagine for a moment that you hadn't. Imagine for a moment that you are there, that you're listening to this guy that, that you maybe have traveled quite a distance to see, and, you, and you're listening to him and he tells this story. Imagine what you would have thought. Well, you would have understood what the story was about, but imagine what you thought he was saying at that moment. There is a, uh, a pastor by the name of David Guzik, and I really like this guy. He's a pretty cool dude. Um, very, very good teacher of the word. But he, he says something interesting here as he was uh, as in his commentary on this passage. He says, we can imagine what different people in Jesus' audience might have thought when he taught this parable with no explanation. Well, the farmer, he thought, he's telling me that I have to be more careful in the way I cast my seed. I guess I've been wasting an awful lot. The politician, he thought, he's telling me that I need to begin a farm education program to help farmers more efficiently cast their seed. This will be a big boost in my re-election campaign. The newspaper reporter thought, he's telling me that there's a big story here about the bird problem. (laughs) And how it affects the farming community. Thank you, Jesus. That's a great idea for a series in the paper. And, of course, the salesman, he thought, well, he's encouraging me in my fertilizer sales. Well, I could help that farmer more than he knows. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to start talking more to farmers. See, so they sat there. They listened to it, but, but they wouldn't necessarily get it. Why? Because they didn't have the key. See, to understand a parable, you have to have the key to the parable. There is a key. Now, we could take this parable and we could say, okay, now we know that Jesus said it. It's probably not about farming. It's probably not about fertilizer sales. It's about something spiritual, something deep, something that I need to learn. So you could put anything you want to in there. Well, the farmer, he's me obviously. And he is sowing his seed. The seed is love. And as I cast my love out, some comes back and some doesn't. Some gets choked out. But some of it's good, so I keep casting out my love. Or we could say, well, it's hard work. That seed, that's hard work. I put out my hard work and some of it returns something and some of it doesn't. We could say anything that we want to, but Jesus had a reason for teaching this parable. He had something he wanted to convey. And we need to be careful when we start reading the word of God and we start making it say what we want it to say. 
There is a, uh, a saying, if, if you, anybody who's been through seminary or any kind of uh, uh, seminary-type training, you will hear something that, that is said an awful lot, and that is, Scripture interprets Scripture. So if you want to know what something means in a Scripture verse, please don't just read that Scripture verse. Read the Bible, because the Bible will interpret that Scripture verse, Okay? So here, like I said, we could make this mean anything we want to. And Jesus said something interesting. He says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. See, Jesus' point was not to get the truth hammered into the brains of everybody who was listening. His point was to grab their attention and perhaps lure them into wanting to learn more. Because if they do that, God would never disappoint you. If you want to learn more, God's not going to disappoint you. He will teach you through His Holy Spirit what His Word means. So, let's look at what comes next. Hopefully you guys didn't put away your Bibles. I forgot to say that, but we're going through a lot of this, so you may want to read it. I'm reading from the New International Version, um, so it may be a little different than what you have in front of you. Um, So, In verse 10, it says, when he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. Okay. All right. All right. This, this is, this makes me laugh because here's his disciples, right? First of all, you got to know who his disciples were. His disciples were an interesting group of people. Okay. His disciples, he found them as they were working. Okay. They were working uh, in their trades. They were fishermen. They were all, all sorts, but they were working. You know what that means is that they flunked out of rabbi school, okay? They did. They, 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 when they started as, as young children, they went through a certain amount of schooling. And if they showed promise, they were allowed to continue in their schooling. If they did not show promise, if they were absolute idiots, like me, then they were said, okay, you're done. Your schooling is over. Get to work. And so they would usually join the family business and, and become fishermen or carpenters or whatever their family business was. And they would go into their trade. And then along comes Jesus. So imagine these guys out there fishing. They're pulling their nets. They, they've just got everything in. They're, they're coming in. And Jesus comes by. And he says, come, follow me. Here they have a second chance. They said, well, yeah, they dropped their nets and they... They started following Jesus. This rabbi wants to come and and teach them and and bring them into more education, more learning. So these guys are there. They're not exactly maybe what the world would call the brightest guys, okay? Um, They obviously didn't have what it took for the Pharisees to accept them into higher education. But you see, they had something that Jesus wanted, and they had lives. And Jesus wanted their life. And he wants yours too. So they went and followed Jesus. Now I can see them, okay, they're feeling probably pretty good. You know what I mean? They're, I mean, they, you can see all throughout the stories of the Gospels. You can see these guys, well, I love him more. Well, no, I love him more. Well, I would go, I would die for him. Well, I would, you know, this and that. So they have that kind of that chemistry and that, that kind of dynamic among them. So I can see them here on the, sa- on the seashore. And they're probably sitting there and they're like, Jesus is, uh, uh, you know, yes, man, and his, his amen chorus. And he's teaching, he's like, yes, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, a farmer went out to sow his seed. Amen. Amen. He was scattering his seeds up. Oh, preach it, Jesus. Preach it. Preach it, brother. Preach it. Amen. Yes, Jesus. And then when they're done, they went to him and said, 
So, uh, yeah, that farmer thing, what's that mean? Yeah, they have no idea, right? They have, they're, they're just as lost as the rest of the guys. They say, I don't know what that means. So, so they come to Jesus and they say, uh, so about that parable, what's that, what's that, you know, what's the deal? So Jesus starts out and he actually doesn't start telling them what the parable's about. He says something really interesting. He tells them why he has kept the parable the way it is, why he taught with parables. He says, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they may turn and be forgiven. And that's a quote from Isaiah 6. And again, Jesus is not saying, let's, let's let Scripture interpret Scripture. Jesus is not saying that he does not want them to turn and repent. We can see by other scripture that Jesus wills that no man should die, but that all should have eternal life, right? What he is saying is that, uh, is that they are blind, and he tells this parable so that it will, like I said before, pique their interest, get them to pursue it a little further. Because how many people have told somebody that you, something that you know is true, and they will not believe it? They just won't. You can tell them all day long and they won't believe it. You can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is true. I've done this before when I'm telling people about Jesus Christ. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes to the Father but through Him. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that He died on the cross for my sins because I needed Him to and He loved me that much. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that He rose from the dead and that I can have eternal life, that I can have new life here. I know that. But unless the Spirit has revealed it to somebody, they are blind to it, absolutely blind to it. So when you go, side note, when you go and you tell people about Jesus, you need to pray that the Holy Spirit will take those words and will communicate it to them, that it will open their hearts because because unless the Spirit does that, they can't get it. And they won't. So they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. So then Jesus says to them, Don't you guys understand this parable? Don't you guys understand it? How then will you understand any parable? So here we go. You guys ready for this? You guys ready for the key to the parable? This is what we're looking for. We're looking for the key to the parable. He says, the, so, the farmer sows the word. The farmer sows the word. Well, there we go. There's the key. The farmer sows the word. Now that we know that the seed is the word, we can go from there, can't we? Right, we know the key. It's not love. It's not money. It's not hard work. Jesus is saying something specific, and that is the farmer sows the word. That's what he's trying to get. And notice that he did not give this explanation to everybody. He gave it to those that asked, to those that pursued him and asked for this. He says the farmer sows the word. Verse 15, he says, Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. 
Others like seed sown on rocky places. They hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only for a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others like seed sown among thorns. They hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, and some 100 times what was sown. Okay. So we have the key. We know that the farmer sows the word. Let's look at that alone for just a minute. The farmer sows the word. This is telling us, for one thing, that the word must be sown. That the word must be preached. You can, uh, you, you can do anything you want to with seed, but unless you plant it, it doesn't do anything, does it? It doesn't grow. You could study the seed. You could... Uh, Look at the DNA profile of the seed. You could germinate the seed. You could do anything you want to. But unless you sow the seed, the seed will not grow. We have to, the word has to be preached. We have to preach it. We can sit and we can study the word. We can love the word. We can mull it over in our, in our heads. But it's not going to produce fruit beyond us if we don't sow it. Is that right? Sounds right, doesn't it? So as we sow it, we have some decisions to make. We can, we can sow it anywhere and see what comes back. Or we can do like we do here and we can make our nice little rows and we can sow it in the specific places. Well, this farmer was not afraid to sow anywhere, to sow that seed anywhere. It was at uh, Francis of Assisi said, everywhere you go, preach the gospel. And if you have to, use words. Does that make sense? I hope that makes sense to you. If you have to use words, we should be preachers of the gospel everywhere we go. We should be spreading Jesus with our very lives, with our actions. And if we have to, we'll use words. So we are farmers, every one of us, not just pastors, teachers. Every one of us, every Christian is a farmer. That great commission where God said, or Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, that was not given to uh, just one or two people. That was given to all of us. But it says that some people are like seed along the path. See, we've shifted our focus from the farmer to, to the soil, from the seed to the soil. Okay, the farmer goes and sows the seed, but this, this brings up something that... M- Maybe we don't like to hear because I think probably every one of us is guilty, I know I am, of criticizing a preacher. No? Boy, I've done it. Man, you hear how many times that guy said, um, what an idiot. Or, boy, I really liked what he had to say. Or, boy, you know, he's, he, really, he really offended me with what he said there. And I mean, we just we do that, don't we? I mean, we, we, we sit there and we evaluate and we, we say, oh, yeah, he's good here or he's not good here or he does this well and he doesn't do this well. And we, and we criticize the preacher. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing necessarily. I mean, I think that we, we all could use constructive criticism. Is that right? I mean, I think pastors, preachers, teachers, we should all want to get better. 
We should all want to become better communicators of the word. Um, I, I think it's great when we, when we go to conferences and we learn about how to more effectively teach the word of God. That's great. But Jesus is saying, hey, the preacher's not on trial right now. The listener is on trial. What kind of listener are you? He says, some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes it away. Takes away the word that was sown in them. Okay, so that first bit of seed, it goes along the pathway, the wayside in other translations. That path is something that's been beaten down, right? And that seed, as it comes, it just kind of scatters along the, along the top of that path. And what happens? Well, it's just out there in the open. So uh, any bird can come and take that seed, right? It's just, it's right out there on top. So the word is sown into hearts that are hard. Hearts that are hard. And you know what? Jesus, as he was teaching this, he looked out at his congregation, at his crowd, and he saw a hardness of heart, a very hardness. You know, they were there to listen to him, but you know that there were some that were already planning, uh, plotting to kill him. There were some that were there just for a miracle. They, had, they didn't care less what he had to say. They wanted a miracle. They wanted to see something spectacular. Come on, Jesus. Like he's a trained monkey. Let's, let's, let's get the show on the road. They didn't want to hear what he had to say. There was a hardness of heart. And that seed, that it can, it, 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 the word can be, can be cast on that heart, but Satan takes it away. And that can happen on a, on, a, on a big level. It can happen on a small level. It can happen with distractions in the church service. It can happen with distractions in your life. The word is thrown out there and Satan grabs it before you even get a hold of it. Others are like seeds sown on rocky places. They hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. You see, so some of that seed is sown on a place that has uh, maybe a little bit of soil on there. It's got some rocks in there as well. The soil's real shallow. Therefore, it, it, and maybe that's, it's nice and warm, you know. It's got that shallow soil and, and it goes down and it, and it uh, begins to grow. It starts to get root and it shoots up real fast. But they had no root, so they lasted a short time. The, the sun scorched it. Now, if you look at New King James Version, it says they have no root in themselves. They have no root in themselves. They're, maybe maybe the, the, their root, the, the, the root of the word is in their parents. Well, maybe it's in their spouse. Maybe that root is in their pastor. But they have no root of the word in themselves. I, I got to tell you, uh, it, it is a big, 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 big mistake to sit in those pews and rely on anybody up here to be your sole spiritual provider. If you are not mining the word of God for yourselves, your root is in me, in Eric. What good does that do you? Because I'm going to tell you something. When the rubber meets the road and something happens to you like Connie just brought up, you will fold every time because you have no root. You'll fold. The first time somebody says, be a Christian and you're dead, 
you'll say, oh, <laughs> my wife is a Christian, <laughs> you know. And you'll give up. It's only when we are strengthened by the word of God, when the Holy Spirit has grown that root deep into our hearts that we can, that we can last, that we can maintain under tribulation, under persecution. You have, to, you have to study that word yourself. You have to grow in the word. And of course, that means you have to preach the word also. Still others, they're like seed uh, sown among thorns. They hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Okay, so here's some, here's some, some seed that was thrown on fertile soil, right? But that soil hadn't been prepared. They hadn't put a pre-emergent weed killer in there yet. And so that's, that seed was thrown on soil that was maybe too fertile because it's growing up with all sorts of other things. I got to tell you, I know a lot of people like this. In fact, um, I look at the mirror and I see them every day. I do. This is probably, I would say this one right here, this soil condition of our heart, you know, we're talking about our dirty hearts, okay? We all have dirty hearts. Um, I'm hoping that, that nobody here is the first two. I know that there's people here that are this one. Because this is probably the one that pervades the church the most. And that is that we have fertile soil. We love the word. We want the word. The word comes in and it starts to take root. But you know what? So do a lot of other things. They take root. We've got all sorts of stuff that is growing up with the word. And that is, and, and they're weeds and they want to choke it out. They want to choke it. Is that a, does that make sense to you? It does to me. I tell you what. The biggest thing, and it's, it's probably the best thing I ever did, was kick the TV out of the door. Because that was the biggest waste of time I've ever, ever allowed into my life was the television. Stupid television filled with godless garbage. And, and when we sit there and we're entertained by it. But it chokes the word of God. It chokes it. Uh, this can be great. It's got my Bible on it, right? I love this thing. No, I don't. I love the Bible that's on this thing. But there are other things on here that, that can be a total distraction. Look, I've got, uh, I've, I've got, I've got games on here for my kids. Um, yeah, see, look at that. That's a, that's a fun game, guys. But you know what it does? If I let it, it distracts me from the word. It chokes that word out. Uh, the radio can do the same thing. We got music. We got all sorts of stuff. We live in a day and an age where media is just bombarding us here and there and everywhere. I've actually sat there and, and, and gone outside in the morning with my cup of coffee, sunrise. Oh, it's just gorgeous. And I start, I say, oh, Jesus, Lord, just speak to me. Just, just, just speak to me, Lord. Just speak to me. No, Fox News, that's, that's cool. What happened there? I'm that fast, that fast. I just I have this uncontrollable urge to fill that gap with something, something that chokes out the word of God. And I don't allow him to speak to me. You're driving in the car and God's starting to press on some, maybe something you heard before, maybe in a sermon and God's starting to press it into your heart and, and water that seed and get, and things start starting to grow. And all of a sudden it's like uh, a, a, an uncontrollable force grabs your hand and turns on the radio, <laughs> you know, it's something like that. We can be that way, can't we? 
you know, we really need to be careful about the things that we allow into our lives, the things that we allow to, to, to grab a hold of us. You know, um, it was at uh, uh, A.W. Tozer talks about in his, his book, uh, The Pursuit of God, he talks about, uh, about what happened in the Garden of Eden. You know, Adam was created in God's image. Eve was created in God's image. And they were created with a throne on their heart that, 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 that God alone was to sit on. And when they sinned, they kicked God off that throne because they had that choice to do that. They sinned. They kicked God off the throne. And now, ever since then, every outside thing that was made for their pleasure has been vying for power and trying to sit on that throne of their hearts. I feel it within me all the time. Oh, that God would be the only one that would sit on that throne. But others, they're like seed thrown or sown on good soil. They hear the word, they accept it, and they produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. If you think that you are that last one, I think that's great. I would hope that all of us are that last one at least at times. I know I am at times. And I know I'm the one before it at times. And if you wonder if you are, well, it's a pretty simple test. Look around you. Look at your own life. Are you being fruitful? Is the word of God being fruitful in your life? If it is, then great. Because it's that last soil, that good, loamy, fertile soil that has no weeds, that has no rocks. That's what's producing fruit. When you hear the word of God, when you accept the word of God, and when you allow it to produce fruit in you. Now, this is interesting right here. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. I love that nobody, we we don't all have to produce the same amount of fruit. Isn't that fantastic? Because that would be a whole heck of a lot of pressure. And and I'm not, I, I don't like pressure. I really don't. I, I don't, I don't like, you know, I, I kind of, I strive for mediocrity. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, no, I thought it was funny, but, uh, yeah, excellence is just w- way too high a standard for me. No. Um, but we, we don't have to, we're not the ones that produce the fruit. God produces the fruit. The Holy spirit produces the fruit and he might have somebody that he desires to produce a hundredfold. I was just thinking about this the other day. I love thinking about Billy Graham because I think Billy Graham is a pretty awesome guy. But you know what? There is nothing special about Billy Graham. I know it probably sounds like I just said like blasphemy, but there is nothing special about Billy Graham that isn't special about you. There is nothing special about Billy Graham except for the fact that God chose to use him to do amazing things. And God said, you know what? Billy Graham is going to be a hundredfold guy because that's what I want. Why did he want Billy Graham to do that? I don't know. doesn't matter. I'm not God. He chose me to be a, maybe a thirtyfold guy. Well, that's fine too. That's what God chose me to be. Do I want to be a hundredfold guy? Maybe not. Do I want to be Billy Graham? Not really. Billy Graham's had a hard life for all of his greatness, hasn't he? Yeah, he has. I don't know that I want that. I, I'm fine being exactly what God wants me to be. So if you're a hundredfold Christian, 
Please do not look at a 30-fold Christian and say, get with it, man. Get with the program, man. What's your problem? You're sitting there 30-fold. And if you're a 30-fold person, don't look at a 100-fold Christian and, and, and with jealousy and envy. Let God produce in you the fruit that he wants to produce in you. But what you need to do is you need to pursue the Lord, pursue the word, and, and, and make your, the soil of your heart as fertile as it can be, as weedless as it can be, as rockless as it can be. Amen? All right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for the, your word, God. We thank you that, that uh, you have chosen to speak to your people that you've chosen to speak to us clearly, that you've chosen to speak to us, uh, speak to us things that change our lives. God, I'm just absolutely humbled that, that you, the creator of the universe, that you, the, the almighty God, would want to speak to me. I don't understand it. I don't know why you want to do that. But Lord, I thank you for that. And God, I just ask that this word that you spoke to us today would abound in our hearts. God, that it would take deep root. Lord, I ask that if there's anybody here whose heart is hard, Lord, I ask that by your Holy Spirit you would soften that soil. God, that you would till it, that you would make it receptive to your word. And Lord, I pray that actually for each one of us, Lord, I, I, I know none of us have perfect soil in our hearts. And God, I just ask that you would just make the amendments where, where they need to be made. And God, that you would give us hearts that, that hunger for your word, hunger and thirst for righteousness. God, ultimately so that you will bear fruit through us. Some of us 30-fold, some of us 60-fold, and some of us 100-fold. And Lord, we just praise you and we thank you for all that you are and all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen.